You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, happy Father's Day, Foothills. First Corinthians 12 is where we're going to be. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 20. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would teach us this morning about how you've created us and how you've given us gifts to serve your body. We also pray that Steph Curry would crush LeBron James tonight in the NBA Finals. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Amen? Amen. All right. That's what I thought. Paul says this in, in chapter 12, verses 12 through. We're going to be in... We're going to go through the, the, the whole part of the book, but we're going to stop right now in verses 12 through 20. He says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less because a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. When I graduated college, I went straight into seminary, and I accepted a job working at a used car dealership in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I lived at the time, and I lived in downtown. This this used car dealership was in downtown Louisville, and and uh, the men who owned the car lot were members of the church I attended at the time. They were friends of mine. I was friends with their children. I had eaten dinner at the dinner tables in their homes. And they offered me actually a pretty good job and really good money as a college student to work for them Monday through Thursday. And I didn't have a job at the time because I had just finished uh, my final season of college basketball. And I was dating Grace. And I wanted to marry her. And Grace's dad said I had to get a job before I did that. So it seemed like a good idea. And so... I accepted the position. The job description was great. I would wash cars, detail them, run and go pick up cars for the auctions, from auctions and other places, drive them back to the car lot, get them ready to be listed as inventory the next day. And it all seemed great. However, there was one problem with this. Until that time, I had no idea how to drive a stick shift. And this was a luxury used car dealership. And so it was like used cars of Lexuses and Land Rovers and BMW Mercedes, cars in that type of family. And so many of the vehicles that I would drive would be five-speed, stick-shift type cars. And I remember the first time I ever drove a stick-shift, and I was at an auction in Indianapolis. And my boss told me to drive this car back to the lot in Louisville and get it ready and at the time, it was a three-year-old black BMW M3. It was a pretty sweet car. And so he tossed me the keys, and, and I got in the car. He wanted me to follow him back. And I, I got in, and I realized immediately that it was a five-speed. And so I'm thinking, all right, how hard could this be? 
I waited for my boss to, to drive away because obviously, and I, I began to figure out how to drive this new five-speed BMW. And remember, I, I hadn't driven a stick ever in my life until this moment. So I pull out my phone, I start Googling how to drive a stick shift. First, because I couldn't figure out how to turn the dang thing on. I watched a couple YouTube videos, turned the car on, finally got it in reverse, and bunny hopped that thing all the way back to the car lot in Louisville. And I pulled into the parking lot, and I didn't, take, I didn't put it in neutral before I took my foot off the clutch, and I bunny hopped that thing straight into the side of a Land Rover. And they were gracious to me. They, they gave me another shot and until I wrecked another car in the parking lot and they basically fired me. I was distraught, but I learned a lesson that I will never forget. I learned pretty quickly that I was simply trying to do something that I wasn't good at. And in the body of Christ, it's the same concept. There are, three, there are things that I'm good at and there are things that I am terrible at. And there are things that you are good at, and there are things that you are not good at. And there are gifts that God has given me, there are gifts that God has given you, and he's given us gifts to flourish as individual members of the body of Christ and to build up the body of Christ. And so in week one of this series, we learned that when you experience God, you change. Last week, we learned that you were sent with a purpose. Saved people are sent people. And this week, I want you to see that God has gifted you to accomplish his purpose for sending you. God has gifted you to accomplish his purpose for sending you. I think so often in the body of Christ, we operate like I did at my job at the used car dealership. I'll take the job because I don't have one. I'll figure it out. As I go, oftentimes there are two things happening in the body of Christ. However, when, you, when the church needs people to volunteer, like, oh, you've got a heartbeat, you're a real person, I think. We need you, people, come volunteer right now. And then you come and volunteer because there are needs. Then you get burned out because you aren't serving necessarily where you are gifted in the first place and, and where you find energy. You're just serving where there is a need. And on the other side of the coin, much of the time, we don't necessarily know the spiritual gifts that we have in order to serve properly as we ought to serve. And so at Foothills, we want to equip you to be, to be ready and to be equipped by God for every good work. This is the work of pastoral ministry, according to the book of Ephesians. That, that the pastor, pastoral ministry is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, pastors to equip those who aren't pastors to do the work of pastors and to equip you to understand your gifts and to, to function and flourish where God has created you and where God has designed you. That is the purpose of pastoral ministry. And so whether you're going to Washington, D.C. like the Gibsons, to the ends of the earth, or to your neighbor, or your workplace, or to be faithful right here in this community. God has equipped you. He has specifically designed you. He has given you a gifting to serve where you're at, right here, right now, wherever you go, for his glory and the good of the church, the body of Christ. So the first thing I want you to see this morning from our text that we just read is that God has gifted you to be a part of the body of Christ. 
God has gifted you to be a part of the body of Christ. Chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Our bodies have many different parts, but we have one body. And so church, from the beginning this morning, we must realize our oneness, our oneness in the body of Christ. And we must fight for our oneness in the body of Christ. In other words, in the body, in the family, in the church, we are many members, many individuals, but we are one body. Though we are one body, we are made up of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and anything, listen to this, anything that brings hindrance to any race within the body of Christ should be abolished. This week was a historic week for the Southern Baptist Convention, which we are a part of at this church, where they affirmed the opposition and the posture of opposition towards the Confederate battle flag. Do you want to believe that you're a part of the body of Christ, a new family? Then church, this is where the rubber meets the road. I've never been more proud to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, honestly, than I, have, than I am this week. So no matter your opinion on its heritage, you cannot deny its place in history as a symbol of slavery against our African-American brothers and sisters. Church, this is what it means to be one. When one part of the body hurts, the rest of us hurt. Verse 26, when one part of the body suffers, all suffer together. I love what Russell Moore says about this issue. He's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He, he made a statement this week and said, I'm a descendant of Confederate veterans too, but my family history is more complicated than just that. I'm a part of another family now, a bigger family that spans heaven and earth, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and language. The gospel frees us from scrapping for our heritage at the expense of others. The gospel frees us, as the Bible says in Romans 14, verse 19, to pursue what makes peace and for mutual upbuilding. The gospel calls us to bear one another's burdens. What hurts one part of the body hurts us all. As I've said before, the cross and the Confederate flag cannot coexist beside each other without one setting the other on fire. End quote. If you want your faith to have realness here, as Southern Christians, we must do the hard work of loving our gospel heritage more than our Southern heritage. This church is oneness. And church, we must fight for this oneness because it doesn't come easy. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has been crucified at the cross of Jesus Christ. The new you is a part of a new family, a new body, a new kingdom. But we are still different. That's the beauty of the Christian family, complete unity in diversity, oneness and differences. And I don't want to deny that we have differences either. Over the past several weeks, 
we have been having the hardest time keeping my two-year-old in bed at night. And so I go through this same routine almost every night for a month now. I will put him in bed and I'll say, Ivor, do not get out of bed. He'll say, yes, sir, daddy. I walk to the door, I shut the door, and I hear this boom. I mean, it's him leaping out of his bed. You know, he's walking over. Well, I hear the little pitter-patter over his noise machine. He turns off the noise machine, and he opens the door, and he, like, peeks his head out. And so I go through, again, our little pattern of discipline, and I put him back into bed. I say, Ivor, do not get out of bed. Yes, sir, Daddy. I shut the door. Boom. You know, same thing, pitter-patter of noise machine. Turn it off. And so as I'm going through this, I'm beside myself. I'm like, all right. It's time to have a daddy-son talk about this. And so we sit down on his floor one night, and I'm beside myself. I'm so frustrated. I was, it was probably during an NBA game. And so I, I'm sitting on the floor, and I look at him, and I'm like, and I, I, at this time, I've, like, I've even like tried to bribe him into a new Star Wars bed. I mean, that's, that's kind of where we're at. So judge my parenting how you want to. But so I, I'm sitting on the floor, and I'm like, Ivor. And I go there, I'm like, big boys stay in their own bed. And he looks at me, he's like, daddy, I'm not a big boy. And so I go there. I'm like, all right, you a big girl? <laughs> and I, I'm not trying to be crude here, but he goes, he goes, no, daddy, I'm not a big girl either. I'm a big guy because I have a pee-pee. <laughs> I was like, yes, you do, son. Even my two-year-old understands the differences between people. And differences can often be used as dividing walls. Church, we must fight hard for oneness in the body of Christ. God has gifted you to build oneness, not walls around your way of thinking. He has gifted you to build bridges and not set up walls. However, in the body of Christ, differences are not used as dividing walls. Differences are used uniquely in the building up of the body of Christ for him and for our flourishing and for our joy. Church, we are one body. We are unity and diversity. We are every tribe, tongue, and nation. We are every skin color. We will be every language. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. God has gifted you to accomplish his purpose for sending you. God has gifted you to be a part of the body of Christ. You are not gifted to hoard your gifts, but to use them to bring oneness to which Paul is writing, which brings us to our, our second point. God has gifted you to serve the body of Christ. God has gifted you to serve the body of Christ. If you're a Christian this morning and you put your faith in Christ and repented of sin and, and the Holy Spirit indwells within you, he has given you a, a spiritual gift. And the Bible teaches us that, that God has gifted you through the Spirit to use this gift for the building up of the church. Verse 14, let's, let's read verse 14 through 20 one more time. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Right, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not, make, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. In other words, church, you have a great gift that God has given you. Individually, I'm talking. Individually, you have a great gift that God has given to you. So I want to have a quick conversation on understanding your spiritual gift for a minute. I want to ask this question. How do you know your spiritual gifts? I just want to give you two points that are fairly simple. And the first one is this. Start serving somewhere. It's, it's very elementary. Start serving somewhere. If you are not serving somewhere FC, you are missing out on an incredible growth opportunity, and not only incredible opportunities to, for you and your family, but incredible opportunities to find joy in the flourishing of the body of Christ and to live as you were created and gifted to be. When you start serving, you will begin to realize that what you're good at and what you're terrible at. I am a terrible used car lot guy, but I would have never known I was a terrible used car lot guy unless I accepted the position. I could have gone through my whole life thinking, yeah, I could be a great used car lot guy, right? By God's grace, I learned that pretty quickly. But you get the point. Begin serving somewhere. Find something that gives you energy. What do you enjoy doing? How do you enjoy serving? So start serving somewhere. You'll learn pretty quickly if you enjoy it or not. The second thing is this. Have other people affirm your gifts. Have other people affirm your gifts. When I was in the 10th grade, I gave a speech in English class where I went around the room and I took the first letter of every person's name in the room and said a couple sentences about them only using words that like began with the, the same letter as their first name, such as Trent takes tacos to the terrible twos talking table twice tomorrow, 12 times Tuesday, 22 times Thursday to talk theology to Thomas. It was super lame. But after the speech, my teacher was the first person ever in my life to tell me that I could potentially have a career in something that involved public speaking. No one had ever said anything like that to me before until Miss Jennings encouraged me in that direction as a 10th grader. She affirmed that in me. I never would pursue planting a church in Washington, D.C., if other people in my life hadn't said, yeah, you can do this. We affirm this in you. Everything I've ever done in ministry up to this point has been starting things and then handing them off. Starting things, handing them off. And so for me, I get tremendous amounts of joy by doing so. And on another note here, when it comes to, to finding your spiritual gifts, use the gifts that God has given you outside of the church to serve the greater body of Christ. So I've had multiple, multiple conversations with people concerning this. For instance, people who work with children during the week might not want to work with children on Sundays. They want a break from children. I get that. However, how can you use your experience and skills working with children and your knowledge of, of education and your knowledge of 
of family environments to help better our nursery, preschool, and elementary ministries. My friend Elizabeth Graham is a, is a great example of this. She works for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which I mentioned a minute ago. Um, she uses basically her gifts of leadership and administration and event planning to plan massive events literally all over the world where thousands of people attend, influential people attend. And she came to my office a few months ago and said, Greg, I want to create margin in my life. She's a partner here, her and her husband, Richmond, and their kids. She came to my office and said, I want to create margin in my life to use the gifts that I use, I use outside of the church for this church. So I want to help you guys do some of this stuff. And she has been. And this church has been benefited and built up because of her gift. So to sum that up, begin serving somewhere and then have people affirm the gifts that you have. So when I talk about serving, I usually talk about it in a trifold way. You can serve in the, the church, you can serve in the city, or you can serve in the world. And so I want to talk about that just for a second and give opportunities how you can serve here in our community and in the world. So first, you can serve in the church. Numerous ways, right, to serve here at Foothills Church. The two biggest needs that we have right now in this church, we have needs everywhere because we just always do. It's the nature of, of growth. Biggest needs that we have is Kid Street volunteers during the 10 a.m. service. We need Kid Street volunteers during the 10 a.m. service like crazy. And we need hospitality team volunteers. So hospitality team is a great entry level to volunteering here at Foothills Church. So if you can open doors and say hi and smile and you, you can serve on the hospitality team, it's a great way to serve. There are many ways, even on the hospitality team, you can serve in the cafe, you can serve as one of our shepherds, which is our security guys. Um, you can serve as an usher, you can serve as a greeter in the parking lot. I'm probably missing several, but there are so many ways to serve. And we need you to serve in those ways. So I ask you, how are you currently serving? Verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You don't get to exist outside of the body. We use our gifts inside what we have been brought into. How can you serve in the church? How can you serve in the city? We partner with several organizations that we love and are like-minded with that you can serve with as well. We partner with organizations like Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Second Harvest and Knoxville Area Rescue Ministries, which serves the homeless of our community. There are multiple ways to serve, even in our community. And then also you can serve in the world as well. I would encourage you to pray about going on a short-term mission trip somewhere. There are several opportunities to do so during fall breaks and spring breaks and, and summer months. Young people, I say this all the time, what if you used your summers to go overseas or to intern somewhere or to, to go do something through your, your summer months? Those, those summer months where little responsibilities are quickly fleeting as the years go by, great opportunities to intern serve overseas somewhere. You can also, and I'm obviously bent towards this one, serve with Veritas City in D.C. Last week we talked about how God is, is sending the Gibson family, Grace, Cora, Ivor, and myself to D.C. To, to plant a church in the city. And we talked about how you can partner with us and you can pray for us. You can, you can give to Foothills, which 
is also giving to us to give to our mission. And you can go with us. We mentioned last week we're praying for, for families from a church that we love to be a part of a core team with us. And so just a side note, I was in, incredibly encouraged last week by all the emails and text messages that I got and notes um, just about your encouragement to our family and, and all the prayer warriors who are, that we talked about last week who are going to be praying for us. And, and, uh, and so just to give you a little bit of a timeline here, as you're praying and as you're understanding what we're going to be doing, um, we move in a few weeks to D.C. So we've sold our house. We have our commissioning service next Sunday. And then we move July 30th to D.C. Between then and the end of the year, our goal is to solidify a 30-ish person core team. So basically what that means is, is people who want to be a part of a, a team um, for 6 to 12 months or however long they want to be, to be founding members of this church plant. They will use their gifts that we've been talking about to help this church be planted and become sustainable in the community of D.C. that we're targeting. And so through the, the, the spring, we're going to be hosting short-term mission teams to help us raise awareness for, for this church and do different ministry projects in the city. And, um, and I hope that you would pray about being a part of those trips as well. And then our laser-focused prayer. If, if I'm praying and as, as, as fast as God is blessing, that we would launch in August of 2017. So we're a little over a year away at this point, which we'll probably rent our worship space and a theater or a school. But we're excited to see this vision come to fruition. So there are several ways that you can partner with us, that you can partner with this church. However, God has gifted you to serve the body of Christ in the church, in the city, in the world. The third thing is this. God has gifted you to allow the church to flourish. God has gifted you to allow the church to flourish. Let me read verse 21 and following. The eye cannot say to the hands, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our which our more presentable parts do not require but God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another if one member suffers all suffer together and if one member is honored all rejoice together and so church, where can you serve and use your gifts in such a way where the entire body of Christ flourishes because of your gift and then when your gift is removed, the body of Christ feels it because of his removal? Let the words of Paul echo in our minds this morning that verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are in indispensable there are no parts of the body that are weaker there are no parts of the body that are indispensable friends there are many 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 ways to serve in this church in the city and in the world and we need every single one of you to be in the game those who teach and preach are only one part of the body 
Those who practice hospitality are only one part of the body. Those who have the gift of compassion or mercy, only one part of the body. And when we use our gifts well, it doesn't matter whether we get the credit or not. It doesn't matter why I'm serving. I'm not serving for the high five of the pastor or the approval from some other leader. I'm not even serving to make myself feel good or to to give some impression about myself. I serve, we serve, and use our gifts because we are a part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ cannot function unless every part of it is working together properly. And so I want to brag on my wife, Grace, just for a minute. Not many of you know this, but Grace has served faithfully as our volunteer sprout director for the last two years, and she doesn't get praise from the stage, she doesn't get singled out in any environments and things like that, but she has put 10 to 15 hours a week for the last two years into being a volunteer to to lead our sprout ministry, which is our our babies and our crawlers and our walkers. And so I um I mean I've watched her serve faithfully for two years. So she she comes in every week, she cleans the sprout room, she schedules volunteers, she makes sure new volunteers get plugged in and as they should and she, she even stayed up till 3 a.m. the night before Mother's Day getting a craft ready for the kiddos to give to their mamas. And I told her she planned better. She had to stay up so late. That conversation didn't go over too well at the moment. But I'm sitting on the couch this past Tuesday, and Grace is sitting on the other couch just typing away. And I hear like some sniffling, and I'm like, Grace, what is going on? And she looks up from her computer, and she's got these big crocodile tears in her eyes. And she's like, I just sent my last email to our Sprout volunteers telling them how much I love them and how thankful for I, thankful I am for them. So I know she's my wife and I'm allowed to, to brag on her, but that's what I'm talking about right there. Serve because you're called to it. Serve because you're gifted for it. Serve for the fame of Christ. Serve when no one is watching. Serve not for the attention from others. Serve because you are a part of the body of Christ church. God has uniquely gifted every single one of us. And in that gift, when we serve, we find great, great joy because we get to serve and see the body of Christ operate as it's supposed to operate individuals working together as one body for the glory of Christ. And so even though I've been encouraging you to get involved in the immediate needs of of the church this morning, I don't want you to forget there is a kingdom of darkness at odds with the truth of the gospel outside of these walls today. Yes, I want you to Pray big prayers for your life. I want you to dream big dreams for your life. But I want you to use the gifts that God has given you to spend your life fighting, going to war against the injustices and the kingdom of darkness of this world. A little confession time. My my greatest fear in my life is not failure but it's not using my life for things that could possibly fail unless God literally makes it happen. In other words, my greatest fear in life is to be comfortable 
to not use my gifts, to not attempt big things, to preach all of God's word in fear that it would make some people mad. Isn't that silly? It's literally a fear of mine as we move to Washington, D.C. And sometimes even when I get up and preach before anyone, that what I would say would make them mad. And then I'm like reminded, who am I kidding? He's been doing that for thousands of years. But I say this as a, as a pastor who loves you, your children and this church dearly. My greatest fear for you as well is that you would live a life that is comfortable and that you would miss out on the life for which God potentially created you and gifted you, which is to spend your life making much of him through your gift sets and through your resources and where he's placed you. There is more joy in obedience than all the money and the world can buy. There is more joy in obedience than all the power in the world can give. There is more joy in obedience than all the happiness of material possessions that you can own. Listen to this. There is more joy in obedience than even the greatest adventures that life may bring. There is more joy in obedience than your own family can provide. There is more joy, church, and obedience than even our own children can provide. And my greatest fear in life is that I would live a life that is comfortable because when I'm comfortable, I am also complacent. I probably, like you, begin to block out all the things that are wrong with this world, all the injustices of this world, and I don't have to force myself into action. And friends, there is no time for complacency. There is no time to, to barricade ourselves from the world. As Christians, we find ourselves placed into this world, this age, this culture, this time to bring the truth and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear on all evil that is in this world. Friends, there is no time for complacency. Let me remind you why. We live in a culture where 56 million babies are aborted each year. We live in a culture where men and women can now choose their own gender and use the restroom of their choosing. We live in a culture where madmen shoot up nightclubs in Orlando. We live in a culture where 12.3 million humans are trafficked each year. We live in a culture where 4.8 million refugees live homeless, fearing for their lives daily somewhere in our world every single day. We live in a culture where over 500,000 people live homeless on any given night in America. We live in a culture of high racial tensions and extreme racial inequality even today. We live in a culture where 40% of babies born last year were born to women outside of marriage with a high percentage of those living in poverty. We live in a culture where there are still 132 million orphans around the world. We live in a culture where there are over 400,000 children in foster care just in America. Should I repeat myself, church, there is no time to be comfortable. No matter your political views, 
we can all agree that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is much work to be done against the kingdom of darkness. In this city and in this world, wherever you pick up a stone and throw it and it lands, we can go to that rock, pick it up, start doing gospel work. And God created you. He put you in Maryville, Tennessee for such a time as this to send you to use your gifts for his glory and his kingdom. So how are you using the gifts that he has given to you to make a Grand Canyon-sized difference in our community and in our country and in our world today? So I was distraught after I was fired from the used car lot back in seminary. I felt like a failure. I felt like an idiot. I began to believe the lies that only stupid people get fired from detailing cars. But then I remembered my calling and my gifting, which was not to sell cars or or work on them or detail them or let's be honest, do anything at all with them unless I'm putting gas in them. Call me what you want to. I'm just not a car guy. And as I remembered my gift set, I began to speak all over Louisville. I began to speak all over Kentucky. Trent called Trent called me one day. He's like, hey, I'm moving to Louisville to, to plant Foothills Church. You want to come work for me? And six years later, here we are. By God's grace, I have preached in some capacity over 250 times here at Foothills. To me, that is way better than detailing any car. And now we're about to be sent to plant our own church in a city that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ in a city that influences the rest of the world. And so I ask you this morning, and I encourage you again, God has gifted you to accomplish his purpose for sending you. Be bold, be courageous, stand and ask the question, God, what are my gifts? How are you sending me to accomplish your purpose. Father, we pause before you this morning thankful for the completed work of Jesus on the cross that we don't ever have to wake up wondering about our state with you. We are sons and daughters adopted into your family. You call us children. We are co-heirs with your son. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Every material blessing that we have comes from you. God, I pray that you would allow us to see that the gift sets you've given us, the resources that you've given us, help us make a mountain of a difference in this city, in this community, right here in Maryville, Tennessee. Help us make a difference in Washington, D.C. Help us make a difference to the ends of the earth. Let us, in confidence, in, in boldness that we have in your son, live to fight against the kingdom of darkness. Help us fight comfortableness. Help us fight complacency. There are seasons for those things. But let our lives be weighty and used for your great name. That's the prayer for my family. That's the prayer for this church family. And I pray that in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.